0: good morning morning. and what a beautiful morning it is happy father's day it's really bright and pretty outside so you can go out and work in the yard your favorite thing to do on father's day (laughs) or you might be grilling or barbecuing I saw a thing yesterday it said on mother's day everybody make sure the mother gets taken out to eat and on father's day somehow the father's always grilling sorry Quint want to welcome our visitors all of our visitors today that are here the ones online Uh, we appreciate y'all if you need direction anywhere in the building you have any questions just ask someone someone will be more than happy to help you Um, our giving we have a box back there on the back for our regular attending members Uh, you can do it Mail, you can go online, however you want to do that. Uh, Wednesday, we will have Bible study with Carvin Adams. The children and the youth will be meeting, as usual. Saturday is the big rummage sale. Kathy's been working so hard on that. If you have any items for the sale, you can bring it to the church, and you can place them in the fellowship hall. We brought two loads in, I guess it was Friday evening and put in there, got my house cleaned out. So let's see, next Sunday uh, Neil Oldham will be with us and he will be our uh, worship leader and we'll be taking up the annual uh, Pollock Campground Association offering. I also have um, a special thank you here for the postage stamps, those of you that have helped with the postage stamps. This says, To my church family at Cypress Street Church of God, thank you so very very much for the generous donations of postage stamps for the card ministry here at the church. It was such a blessing to receive so many stamps to help with this ministry. May God bless each card that goes out. May they encourage and uplift. I am so glad we have such a loving family here. Love and prayers. Mary Crane. I agree with you very much. For Father's Day, I have a little poem that I did not write. God took the strength of a mountain, the majesty of a tree, the warmth of a summer sun, the calm of a quiet sea, the generous soul of nature, the comforting arm of night, the wisdom of the ages, the power of the eagle's flight, the joy of a morning in spring, the faith of a mustard seed, the patience of eternity, and the depth of a family need. Then God combined these qualities as there was nothing more to add. He knew that his masterpiece was complete, and he called it Dad. And I want to say a special thank you and Happy Father's Day to all... Men, whether you are a biological father, a stepfather, or a spiritual father, you all have a role. You all, it takes a village. And unfortunately, sometimes our villages are not what we want them to be. And I'm thankful that we have fathers and spiritual people like you to help have a great village for our children and our young people. And I thank you for that. Now let's... Now let's go to worship in music. If you're able, stand with us this morning. We do have about four songs, so if you tire, please feel free to sit down. But the first song is in honor of our fathers, Good, Good father.
1: It's who you are. It's who you are. Who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I see many searching for. Call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you love 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 Father. it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. by you. It's who I am. It's who I
0: am. It's who I am. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Learning on the everlasting arms. Leaning. I'll sing this song with great heart and felt great is thy faithfulness
1: Morning by morning new mercies I see. Lord unto me
0: Hope you enjoy enjoying singing these beautiful hymns that We haven't sung in a while Day by day for your patience. You may be seated. Children, it's time for you to go to your classes now. I think this is an appropriate time to tell you what I'm not singing. Not unless you want to dismiss real early. I think it's appropriate time to tell you what wonderful teachers that we have, and the people that are going back there with her children to teach and the ones that are teaching on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings in circles and we have, we've got a lot that have stepped up and helped when we've needed some help and I just think it's, it's awesome that in a church this size we always have somebody to step in and help and I think everybody needs to be thanked. I went off script a little bit there we do have some uh prayer requests uh we've got jerry crane pat blaylock kathy's aunt she did get to go home Uh, mr lowry's he fell and he broke his hip and he's had surgery and he will be going to rehab for that john spires is improving larry lawson our fathers the International Youth Convention, which is coming up. We need to be praying for the convention. Pray for all the attendees. Pray for all of the chaperones that will be with them. Pray hard for that part. Betty Chaplin, who is Kathy's friend, our shut-ins, Pastor Ray and Dana Owens, those seeking employment, those traveling, and the lost. Uh, if you have any requests that you'd like to be put in the Sunday morning bulletin, uh, you can call the church office or if you, we have a text prayer chain that goes around and if you would like to participate in that, um, you need to contact Karen Oldham and the number is here. Let's go to prayer. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the freedom to be here. We thank you for our fathers. We thank you for the people that put this together so that we have somewhere to come and meet and worship you. We thank you for the many, many blessings that we have. And we ask that you be with each one of these prayer requests and the many, many, many more that are on our hearts. We know that you know each one of them, you know each need. And we just pray that you be in the middle of it and that we all remember to seek you and go to you first. We thank you for this day. We ask that you open our ears and help us to hear your word. We thank you for Carvin, who is stepping in and bringing us the word. And we know that when he speaks, it's from you. We ask these things and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that was your introduction right there in the prayer. (laughs) Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Barbara, for that introduction. So good to be with each one of you today, a special blessing upon all of our fathers who are here. I hope this is a very, very special day and that you're able to be with some of your family, hopefully with your kids or grandkids, as we celebrate and honor our uh, fathers. I'm going to do something today I have never done in over 40 years of preaching on a Father's Day or Mother's Day. I'm not speaking about the family. I just felt led to go a different direction. Uh, in fact, on uh, Mother's Day, Ray uh, did an excellent sermon on the family. And then, as he got into that series of uh, renovating or renewing our, or restoring our lives, he touched on the family several times. But I just felt led to go in a different direction this morning. I beg your forgiveness and trust that you'll receive something from God's Word. If you'll please get your Bibles and turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, written by Paul, the great apostle and missionary. In the late uh, 70s, our family was we were living in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and I had the privilege of one day. I had to go out to the job site, and I had to go by the airport. And as I got parallel with the airport, the airport was on my right to the north. I saw this huge Concord plane, first one to ever land in Utah. It was coming in for a landing. Uh, the Concord, of course, is not in use anymore. But as I watched this Concord, it didn't come in nose down, as most planes do. They come in nose down. When they get near the, the tarmac, they lift up the nose a little, landing on the back wheels, and then letting down the front. This one was coming in at about a 45 degree angle, about, about like this but the cockpit, uh, cockpit on it pivots down so that it's parallel with the, the ground. It really looked like a big goose or a duck coming in to fly uh, to land. A Beautiful scene. The Concorde could fly Mach 2, which is uh, twice the s- speed of sound. That's a cruising, it was 1,354 miles an hour. That's almost three times the speed of a regular passenger plane. And when it's flying, it's it's going so fast, there's so much friction on the outside surface of the skin that temperatures will reach 261 degrees Fahrenheit. The outside temperature in the air is, is a minus 69, meaning the temperature on the outside of that plane will actually go up over 230 degrees. And because of this tremendous stress on this aircraft, As it's in flight, it will actually expand and become nine inches longer. So if you think you don't have enough leg room, get on a Concorde. It'll stretch. You'll have more room to stretch out. But yet on the inside, it's kept comfortable with four large air conditioning units. I thought about that. While experiencing extreme, tremendous stress. The inside was constant. As if nothing at all was taking place on this aircraft as it was flying. I see a similar story in our text today written by Paul. He describes some very stressful times in his life as a missionary. and He was still experiencing those when he wrote this letter. And he experienced them all his life. In fact, he was eventually beheaded. But as he is... Talking about these conditions, in verse 16, he words it this way. Though outwardly we are wasting away. If I could put that in my translation, I would put we're dying. We're in the process of dying. But inwardly we are being renewed. Notice the contrast. Outwardly, the physical part of us is going through this wasting away the term that he uses but but inwardly that which is eternal our soul and our spirit is being renewed uh, there are few people in history who have experienced as much suffering as Paul very few in fact let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 and following as he explains some of the hardships he had gone through thus far He says, I've been involved in far greater efforts, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and have faced death more than once. Five times i received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which of course would be 39. The Jews could not kill anyone. They thought 40 was the limit that would kill a person, so they could only whip a person 39 times. Three times, he says in verse 25, I was beaten with a stick. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked and I drifted on the sea for a day and a night. I have traveled extensively. In fact, he made four missionary journeys, not counting when he was eventually taken to Rome as a prisoner. I have been in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, and Gentiles. I've always been in danger in the city in the open country at sea from false prop, uh, brothers. In toll and hardship, through many sleepless nights, through hunger and thirst, many periods of fasting, coldness and nakedness. And besides everything else, I have a daily burden because of my anxiety about all the churches. Let's look at verses 8 and 9, which will be our main text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Notice how he contrasts. Outwardly, he says, we're in verse 8, hard pressed on every side. That means he was between a hard place and a rock. I, I, guess I have this mental vision of, of Paul in a prison with stone walls all around him. And little by little, they're pushing in. But he says, inwardly, I'm not crushed. In verse 80, he says, perplexed, which means not knowing at times which way to go. You may recall on his second missionary journey as he was leaving Antioch and, and going west through the Asia Minor, that he wanted to go up into Bithynia to the north, and God said no. Then he tried to go south into Ephesus and again God said no. So Paul kept traveling west to Troas and that night he had a vision of a man in Macedonia who said come over and help us. So convinced that was God's will he then went to what we know as Philippi and planted the church there. So even the great saint that he was he did not always know exactly what to do but he says inwardly not in despair. Verse 9, he says, persecuted, which that was from the Jews and the uh, Gentile. but he said, inwardly, I, I wasn't abandoned. God never left me. Verse 9, he says, I was struck down, which is a term used when a couple people are, are wrestling, especially, and one is knocked down on the floor, and his opponent is about to pin his shoulders down, winning the match, but Paul said, no, I wasn't destroyed. I got up, got up to fight the next battle. And twice in our text, first in verse uh, 1 and also in verse 16, he makes this statement, we do not lose heart. We do not faint, we do not get up or give up, we we get up and persevere, we go forward. And though he was experiencing all these turmoils, uh, much more than you and I probably will ever experience. He's basically saying, There is nothing, nothing that's going to defeat me. You and I will have troubles in this life. In fact, Scripture tells us we will. You have already, no doubt, experienced stressful situations. Maybe it's bad health. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe a lack of work. There's a hundred things in this life that can be stressful. We probably will not feel the stress maybe that Paul did. But nevertheless, we can continue to go on without losing heart. The American Academy of Family Physicians says this. Two-thirds of all office visits to the doctor are prompted by stress-related symptoms. Or Dr. Joel Ekins of the University of Louisville said this, and I quote, our mode of life itself, the way we live, is emerging as today's principal cause of illness. End of quote. How is it possible to cope? Well, I see three things, especially in life of Paul that enabled him to go on regardless of how difficult it was. And I'd like to lift these out of the scripture today and offer them to you as an encouragement. Number one, Paul did not lose heart, for his faith was in God who has the power to raise the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead... Will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to Himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Did you notice that word in verse 14? We know. We know. He didn't say, I think. Or I suppose, I hope, but he was firmly persuaded with full assurance that God raised the dead. He raised Jesus, and as we'll see in a moment, we can look forward to that resurrection also. That became really the foundation of his faith, that God has the ability to raise the dead. Look at number A. He said that Jesus was raised from the dead. Again, verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was crucified. And in fact, he even had what we'd call kind of a vision of him, saw him on the road to Damascus. So Paul knew that the power of God had raised Jesus. From the dead, turn over just a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's it's called the resurrection chapter because that's basically all Paul writes about in this chapter, trying to convince the Corinthian church about the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees taught that there would not be a resurrection. The Pharisees believed it would be, but Paul goes into extreme detail. To share with us what it's all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 3 and 4. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. Drop down to verse 14 and 15. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. Did you catch that? There is no need of us trying to live the Christian life if we do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Verse 15, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the death Is not raised. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. In other words, we cannot even be forgiven of our sins if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning the first ones to be raised from the dead after Jesus came upon this earth. So Paul's faith, faith was based on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now look at what he says about us. Item B that as Christians, we too will be raised from the dead. And he talks about that back in our text. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, talking to the Corinthians, in his presence. So not only was Paul convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead, he's convinced that once these bodies are completely wasted and have died, that for the saints of Jesus Christ, and we're all as Christians are saints, whether we uh, consider our saints or not. But we also will be raised from the dead. Go back to First Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul talks about the saints being raised from the dead. Chapter 15, First Corinthians 15, verses 12 and 13. But if it is preached that Christ had been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead if there is no resurrection of dead, then not even Christ has been raised in other words there is a direct relationship between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that we look forward to one day when Christ returns look at verse 16 for if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either and then verse 19 If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So I understand Paul to be saying that even though I am suffering exteriorly from the pressures, the persecutions, and all the problems of life, even though I know that one day this body will die, it will waste away because of the persecutions I've received. Outwardly, It's temporarily. But I know that the one who raised our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will also raise us. If you read the life of Job, a person who probably did suffer as much as Paul, possibly a little more, even though he wasn't physically persecuted, he was convinced of the resurrection of the righteous. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. You see, Paul did not lose heart because he had a faith that was unshakable. That enabled him to persevere. That enabled him to receive everything bad that he did in life. That enabled him to cope with all the exterior stresses and troubles in his life. And it can also help us. There's a second reason... That I believe that he was successful and did not lose heart. That was his spirit was strengthened by God each day. Look at verse 16 of our text. Chapter 4 and 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Notice the contrast again. He says outwardly the the physical part of man is wasting away. But inwardly, the, the spiritual part of man is being renewed how day by day. That word renew there means renovate. I guess Ray could have used that in his series on changing the house. Renovated. Or revived or restored or strengthened. James Hudson Taylor famous missionary to China wrote these words and I quote it does not matter how great the pressure is it only matters where the pressure lies whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer and nearer to his heart of love think about that when we're going through a difficult time we will change either It will separate us from God. We'll blame God for all of our problems or else it will push us closer and closer to God. So that we might be renewed by his love and care. So Paul is saying, although I'm suffering, although I'm hard pressed on every side by the persecution, even at times when I don't know which way to go, even though the body will die, the spirit will die. The Spirit will live on and on because it is being renewed by God day and day. Notice the emphasis he puts on that term, day by day. In other words, the strengthening you may have received a couple of weeks ago, or even yesterday, it may not be enough to get you through what you'll face tomorrow. It is so important that our spirits and our souls are renewed on a daily basis. And I put in your outline the two, what I consider the most important ways to draw closer to God and allow Him to renew us day by day. And one is private worship daily. Joshua 1.9, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not let this book of the law, which we would call the Bible, depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, So that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Notice, renewed day to day. A.W. Tozer, the great preacher, wrote this and I quote, Whatever keeps me from the Bible is my enemy however harmless it may appear to be. Whatever engages my attention when I should be meditating on God and things eternal does injury to my soul. Let the cares of the life crowd out the scriptures from my mind and I have suffered where I can least afford it. Let me accept anything else instead of the scripture and I have been cheated and robbed. End of quote. I don't know when you're most renewing time is whether it's in a private situation or whether it's in a public worship with others for me it's almost always almost always private I've had I don't know many many different types of devotional books back in the 80's I read everything that Chuck Swindoll wrote a great expository teacher and preacher and almost every lesson would encourage me and strengthen me but I admit to you that my most precious devotional times are when I'm preparing a sermon or lesson. I had a uh, professor in college who was one of my homiletics teachers. He said, working on a sermon is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. It takes a lot of work. If you dig into God's Word, try to apply it, first of all, to your life and then put it down on paper so you can share it with somebody else. But it's during those times when I'm digging in the Scripture alone, by myself, that God renews my spirit. But there's also that public time, as we are here worshiping, studying... And the writer of Hebrews said it this way in the 10th chapter, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, not only do we come together to study God's word and to thank him for who he is and what he's done, but we are to be an encouragement one to another. And therefore, during these times, whether it be your private or your public worship, let God's Spirit renew you to keep you from losing heart. And then the third thing, the last thing that I see in Paul's writings that kept him from losing heart, he kept his eyes on that which is eternal, rather on that which is temporary. Notice verses 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. Notice again the contrast that Paul talks about. He says, we have these troubles on earth But yet, think about the glory and the happiness of heaven. He says these troubles on earth are light. They don't always seem light, do they? Sometimes we almost feel like we're going to fall beneath the burdens of it. But in comparison to glory, he says glory outweighs. In other words, you can't even compare the two. Then he says, "The troubles that we have here on this earth, which are light, which are bearable, are momentary, which means for a limited amount of time. Even if you have them all your physical life, or 50, 70, 90 years of life on earth, is just a speck of sand in the time of eternity." So he says that eternal glory that is unending unlimited, far outweighs any problems we may have here on earth. So he says in verse 18, We fixed our eyes not on what we see, which is around us, all of the problems of life, but on what is unseen, which is our future in heaven, the glory of being with Jesus Christ. He said, For what is seen, that which is around us, which is temporary that too will pass but what is unseen is eternal talking again about our hope of Jesus Christ and eternity i admit it is natural it is easy to focus on the things that are that is around us rather than on the things of god in eternity during the civil war that we had here in our own country a general told his men as he as they were bedding down for the night he said these words and i quote in the morning we're moving up the hill to attack the enemy therefore don't put your stakes in too deep talking about the stakes of their tents Uh, i like that expression let me give you some practical advice, and you know it as well as I do. Don't drive your stakes in too deep in life on this earth. It's only temporary. We're just passing through here for a short period of time. In the morning, we're moving up. In the morning, there will be that glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. I I thought about a song yesterday as I was finishing up this sermon. If I'd thought of it earlier, I'd have tried to have us sing it this morning, and you definitely don't want me to sing it. Uh, but it's, it was made popular by the Cathedral Quartet, I think back in the 80s. It says, moving, 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 moving up the glory land. Moving, 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 holding to his nail-scarred hands. Don't know when I'm going... But I'll be ready to go. When I get to heaven, i know I'll be welcome. You know, I'm just moving. Moving, moving, moving. Up to glory land. As Paul was writing to the Philippians, he said this. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In comparison, in comparison to the eternal home that Jesus Christ has prepared for us, all the troubles of this life can be placed on the point of a needle in comparison. I think I put in your outline something that John MacArthur wrote a few years back. He called it eight lessons to learn from bad things that happen to us. Number one, bad things test our faith. Two, they make us rely on God. Three, they remind us of our heavenly hope. Four, they reveal to us what we really love. Five, they teach us obedience. Six, they allow God to show his loving compassion. Seven, they prepare us for greater usefulness. And number eight, they equip us better to help others in their suffering. Verses eight and nine. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, that you be in an attitude of prayer as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Perhaps there's someone here today who has really been kicked down. You feel like you've been trampled on. The stresses of what you're going through have been tremendous. And you may, to a certain degree, be suffering physically, emotionally, possibly spiritually. I would encourage you, do not lose heart. We have a God that can raise Jesus. He, he can also raise us. He will strengthen us day by day, especially as we get into his word and allow his spirit to speak to us. And I encourage you to keep your eyes on that which is eternal. Don't get so obsessed by the temporary things that happen to us day in and day out. Just continue to trust. Trust and obey, as the song says. So this morning, if you have any need that you would like for me to pray with you, you can come to these altars. But if you'd like to pray by yourself, you can come to these front pews. Regardless of what your need is, I invite you to come as we stand to sing a few verses of an invitation. Won't you stand with us?
0: Thank you, Carvin, for that beautiful message of hope. I thank everyone for being here this morning. Um, Once again, it's Father's Day, and we have some goodies in the back. All the men, all the men, please get a candy bar and pick out a goodie that's back there. I believe it's on a table for you as you go out. Have a wonderful day. And I'd like to dismiss us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sharing your word through Carvin this morning. We thank you for the hope. We thank you that day by day we can renew. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings in this world. And we thank you for the trials and tribulations too that... Help us to know to turn to you and help us to recognize the wonderful things. Lord, please be with all of the fathers as we leave here today and go out into the world. We thank you for them. We ask you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.